some intangibles that those projections failed to take into consideration. The crowd was going crazy. There's not much in life that's better than that. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. It is good to be back here in the second half post-All-Star break of the baseball season. Sam Lubman here with, as always, Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky. Shasky, this is episode 66. 66 also happens to be the percentage of games that most Giants fans did not watch this weekend because they were not on traditional viewing channels. Uh, I don't know, Shaz, did you did you check out either the, the Apple TV or the Peacock games? I watched all of it because I'm subscribed to 8,000 different platforms these days. I just, at this point, I mean, I got my, you know, chunk of streaming platforms that I have. I think I have like five or six that I have accounts with either that I have or that I share with other people and I just leech off of them. There comes to a point where it's just there's too many and I just don't care anymore. If the Giants are on Apple TV, which they were on Friday night, I'm not going to put the effort in at this point. Like it's it's almost like a silent protest to me. You know, I will I, I want the games on normal TV. I we've talked about this a lot. I know the future is with streaming. I am going to be the old man yelling at the cloud saying I want my baseball on normal TV until I have no other choice. And I don't know, I like to think that if we all just band together and not watch an Apple TV game, maybe Major League Baseball would get the same message. But I don't know, that's that's the hope, hopeful optimist in me. You I sound guess. like my dad, Sam. <laughs> that is very fair. But, you know, that's just Giants baseball is at right now. One thing, place that Giants baseball is at going into the second half is uh, – Giants just in a very good spot right now, and I kind of I wanted to do like a second half preview type deal, but we weren't able to make that happen last week. So I kind of want to have this episode be that, but I wasn't really sure kind of how to really approach talking about the second half. So you know what I did, Shasky? I decided to uh, write a bunch of Giants topics on a piece of paper, print them. I typed them up, print them out, and I put them all in this hat right here. Okay. So this Giants has a 2019 All Star Game hat. For those who are uh, listening, which is which is most of them, uh, you guys have to take my word for it. I do have a hat here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the take hat. I'm going to shake it here for the mic so you can hear it. And the way it's going to work, Shasky, I don't know if you ever watched Whose Line Is It, any, is it Anyway? There's that uh, sketch scenes from a hat. They, they pull a, like a thing out of a hat. You have to act out that scene. It's kind of like that, except it's, you know, it's, it's themes from a hat, you know, giants. Themes I like it. For the second half. I don't know, it's not really themes, though. It's names and topics. But the way it's going to work is I'm going to pull a name out of a hat. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about in terms of how they will impact the second half for a couple minutes. So you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's go. Fire away. Pull one out. He's rummaging, 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 rummaging. And he's found something. Is Lamont Wade Jr. So how what will Lamont Wade Jr.'s impact be on the Giants in the second half? I worry that he's going to come back down to earth. Uh, both defensively and offensively, um, you know, you're seeing the average dip down just a little. Um, but I, but I do worry. And you know, now that there's rumors that they're in on Paul Goldschmidt, which I don't know how substantial those rumors are, but I just wonder where he's at long term with this team. You know, have they squeezed yeah. the lemon for every drop, and maybe the league adjusts to his adjustment to his adjustment of the league? Like I, I just don't know. But I have a feeling he's going to finish the season batting 265 or below. Yeah, I guess with Lamont Wade Jr. always feels like you're not really so much worried about the uh, the average as much as the on-base percentage. I mean, he is kind of an interesting case as a leadoff hitter in that he's a guy who can get on base, 
but he's not really a speedster on the bases. No. I mean, he could scoot, but you know, if you're comparing him to like, you know, other traditional leadoff guys, like, you know, an Esther Ruiz or, you know, which might be an extreme example, you're going to be a little disappointed when I look, I mean, that's a, when I look at Lamont Wade though, it, it's kind of like what, what is going to translate and not fade away. And I feel like something that's why I would not worry about Lamont Wade Jr. is the batting eye. I feel like mm. once you have that, that view of the strike zone, you're not going to just lose it. It's not like the strike zone is going to change and you have to readjust on kind of finding out where the edges of those zones are. And Lamont Wade Jr. has such a great kind of mastery of the strike zone right now that I think he'll always be able to figure out a way to get on base. And as long as he's getting on base, especially in that leadoff spot, you're going to be getting some value out of him. But okay. I think this kind of goes into just uh, – I feel like a truth that, that, that we don't want to talk about when it comes to these Farhan fines, which is what Lamont Wade Jr. is. He is a Farhan fine. They kind of found him in the middle of nowhere, brought him in, adapted him to the system, and he's been able to flourish. But guys like Lamont Wade Jr. who you find off the scrap heap, most of the time you realize they're on the scrap heap for a reason. Exactly. And you can milk some great baseball out of them for a time – after a while, he could turn into a pumpkin again. That's the risk you always take. And yeah, I think it's a fair worry. Can Lamont Wade keep it up? I think, it, but again, I go back to as long as you have that that vision of the strike zone, you're getting on base consistently, you're playing first base, which, I mean, yeah, you want good defense at first base, but it's not super hard to play good defense at first base. Um, that would suck if he definitely fades in the second half. I'm not super worried about that happening, though, just yet. But again, that's, that's I, I am a little worried. I am a little worried. And I just think that like, you know, he's really only put together the two halves, the, the half of 2021 and this half right now. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that he's shown that when he's been healthy, he's always been able to find a way to produce. If they did kind of, let's say they acquired Paul Goldschmidt, which that'd be really cool. Assuming that Lamont Wade Jr. would not be a part of that trade. Do you think they just move him back to the outfield or is he yes. on the bench? Yeah. I think he goes back out to the outfield, gives them some left-handed outfield uh, versatility. They have a lot of righties in the mm -hmm. outfield right now outside of Yaz, um, Conforto, righty, even though he bats left-handed. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, righty-righty. You know, when he comes back at some point, Matos, righty-righty, Slater, righty-righty. I, I think that this gives him a lefty option. That will be interesting. So, yeah, well, that'd be somebody to keep an eye. I wasn't really thinking about Lamont Wade Jr. fading in the second half. So uh, thanks for giving me a reason to not get some sleep tonight. So Sorry, bud. Let's get, let's get another one here. All right, Rummaging, 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 grab go. something. And we got something here. It is, <laughs> oh, yes, Farhan Zaidi. What will be the storylines around Farhan Zaidi? Here in the second half, Shasky, I know you want to get in on this. What well, you, you know what? Put the trades to the side. Can't predict the trades. I'm not going to yeah. even pretend to predict the trades because who knows? I think his entire tenure is going to come down to one thing. Strictly how well do these youngsters play? And, and I mean, Bailey, does he continue? Schmidt, does he continue to free fall? Um, Matos, does he show signs of life here in the second half? I think the youngsters are going to be the measuring stick by which we make our calculations on Farhan Zaidi. Yeah, I think it's, you know, uh, Joe Spadoni threw in a, uh, an interesting nugget into our text thread last week. He really kind of brought, he brought up a good point. You know, as far, you know, most general managers, it's like their definition of success is tied to their ability to make the playoffs. But with Farhan, it, oh, he pointed out, it's almost like his definition of success is what do these young guys do? It's almost like, you know, if Farhan doesn't make the playoff, if the Giants don't make the playoffs this year, it'd be four out of five years missing the playoffs under Farhan. But you see progression from guys like Bailey, yes. from Schmidt, 
from Matos, from Ryan Walker. Kyle Harrison comes up. He has a good start. You know, you're, you're going to be feeling very good about Farhan. And that would probably earn him an extension, which yes. is very inter- a very interesting situation there. I mean, I don't know, should Farhan's kind of his, – his, his credibility, his reputation, his, his measure of success, is it – should, is that kind of, should it be kind of attached to just how the young guys do and or how much does the the record and where you finish in the standings and where you're playing in October kind of fit into that? Well, I mean, I think we would all agree that they're an older team that kind of pieced together with one, two and three year deals. So we want to see what the foundation of the future is. And aren't the three youngsters the foundation of the future? I mean, that is. Yeah, I would say, I mean, yeah, with with Mato Schmidt and Bailey. Yeah, that's three parts of your foundation of the future. I would say Kyle Harrison, you hope to have in there as well. Um, But I think that's kind of in part what Farhan was brought in here to do was kind of revamp this team in a way that it desperately needed. Uh, And that takes a while sometimes. I mean, I say it all the time. No one really kind of talks about how down bad the giants were when he got here uh, after that 2018 season. It was very, it was a very old team. It was a team that, you know, I mean, fans were still attached to the the old players who were on that team, but it was really it was a team that looked like they were just playing a completely different and a, like obsolete brand of baseball, and they were old, and there was just there was no reason for hope for the next few years. And yeah, I agree. you ask any, you you read over all the, you know, when you know whenever a team hires a new general manager, all the websites are going to put out the, you know, what to expect from this guy now that he's leading this team, and. Whether it's ESPN, whether it was you know Fox Sports, was MLB.com, each you know the Athletic, each one of these sites said that Farhan has to undergo a very long and painful rebuilding process for the Giants. In some way, shape, or form, they said that. Now, long and painful could be kind of what the Orioles did. Uh, long and painful can be what the Tigers are going through. Has it been painful for the Giants at times? Yes, um, but. Has it been like a horrifically long and painful process? I don't know if I would say that. What would you would you say it's been a difficult or long rebuild here? I know yeah, we- it's been long. Yeah. I mean, you, you keep finding nobility and being a competitive team. Meanwhile, I'm looking at the nobility of losing 100 games in a row, five straight horrible seasons, and then you look up and the Orioles might have the best future in baseball, maybe in any sport. So I guess the thing is, yeah, I mean, a lot of – because I remember when I first met Farhan, uh, when he first got here, he said he's very anti-tanking. Is the biggest mistake right now for Farhan that maybe he shouldn't have had that anti-tanking stance? Well, let me ask you, did you spend money wisely in 2019? How about 2022? How about 2023? Like, let's be honest. Look at their free agency track record. Hasn't been great. When they gave Crawford that extension, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, he gets to retire a giant. Most people outside this market were like, it's probably an overpay for a 35-year-old mm-hmm. shortstop. Well, I remember I was not really on board with bringing Crawford back after 21. It was a classic year in a contract year season. Crawford usually does well in his contract years, and then he kind of regresses back to being the Brandon Crawford we know and love after that. Bringing back Crawford, especially after that year in 21, I understand the fan sentiment, but if you want to bring Crawford back, that's fine. I think for the biggest free agency screw-up Farhan has had it's not Aaron Judge. Correa. Not, it's not gonna, It's not Correa. It's not going to be Shohei this winter. I think the biggest screw-up that Farhan made in free agency was not pouncing on either Corey Seager or Marcus Simeon after that 2021 season to try and find maybe a more long-term option to play second base and then maybe move that guy over to shortstop when Crawford retires. You had a 107-win season, and you had all the reason to go out and get one of those big premier middle infielders to team up with Brandon Crawford 
and you just you punted you punted on that completely you didn't even i didn't know if you punted you didn't even take the field well and, and now with the estrada injury it feels like you need another middle infielder and you could say oh well, they had tyro estrada i would I, I, no disrespect to tyro estrada i would rather have marcus simeon or Corey seager in this lineup over tyro estrada that's not a disrespect to tyro estrada that's it's like there, there's good players and then there's elite players and farhan passing on those two guys I think you had a real chance to improve what was, I think, a team that played over its head a little bit. And you probably have a much more positive season in 2022. I know Simeon and Seager both kind of struggled at times last year. Yeah, they're balling. They're balling right now. And you're telling me that as we're searching for a star, Marcus Simeon, you don't think that he would be a star for the Giants right now? Corey Seager, you don't think that he would be an emerging star for the Giants right now? I agree. It's just... Right now, that's the the biggest beef I had with Farhan was just not upgrading. What about that Gosman? I mean, signing Gosman and like, there's a lot of little moves here and there that have added up. And I just I look at it right now. I'm like, what? Like, what did you what did you really accomplish outside of 2021? Yeah, you you got people excited. The Gosman thing, I letting Gosman walk that hurt. But when you think of all the other free agents that Farhan has let walk, if that's the only one that kind of comes back to haunt the Giants, I think you'll live with that. I, I agree. Yeah, you know, if that list grows, then you know maybe maybe we're having a different conversation. So let's shuffle through the hat one last time here. All right, rummage, rummage, rummage. Maybe rummage. we can come out with something positive here. Uh, Casey Schmidt. Mm. How, Casey Schmidt. How big is this second half going to be for Casey Schmidt? I think it's huge. Um, you know, I I want to see the young man stay at the big league level. It's hard to make an argument for him when he he hasn't been hitting. I mean basically 118 over his last month or so, you know, it's yeah. not good. Here's what I would say to giants fans. He's got 37 hits. Brandon Crawford's got 41 hits. Neither <laughs> guy is producing right now. Now one's a cemented two-time champion, multiple gold glove winner at the end of his road. The other is a 24 year old who's scuffling ride with the kid. Give him a couple of weeks. Let's see where he's at. I think the second half is monstrous for him. It's going to be huge. We need to see a lot from Casey Schmidt, I think, in the second half. Because like we've been saying, you know, we said, you know, who's the foundation of this team? Patrick Bailey, Luis Machos. We're throwing Casey Schmidt in there. Yeah. Now, I don't know what Casey Schmidt's ceiling is going to be. No one does. My get, I've always said, if you give me the career that Brandon Crawford had, like, I would take that. Brandon Crawford, is he going to the Hall of Fame? No. Is, you know, he made a couple all-star games. You know, he's a fan favorite, represented this Hall of Fame guy. He's a yeah, he'll be on the Giants wall of fame. He will not be in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame with an H. But if Casey Schmidt, if he could be a guy who just gives me plus production at the plate, gives me plus plus production in the field and just represents the Giants well, makes fans like him. I mean, that's the thing. Brendan Crawford, not a superstar, you know, in the traditional sense, but he's a superstar with this fan base in terms yeah. of just how fans like him and love him. And I do think that is a positive. And again, when you play, you know, a role in winning two World Series championships, that's also going to be endearing to you. If Schmidt can help this team win one title, that would be great. If he can help this team win two, I'll be ecstatic. But <laughs> I, I think if you're setting, I don't know if, if setting the just be Brandon Crawford, if that, I don't feel like that's too high of a ceiling, though, for Casey Schmidt. I think that's doable player for over a decade. I mean, yeah. You know. Uh, like, I think that's a table, though. Can, can Casey Schmidt hit 260 for his career while playing, you know, gold glove caliber defense? I don't think that's a huge ask from from Schmidt. Okay. Remember, Brandon Crawford, he kind of got off to a slow start at the plate in his career before really kind of coming on after two, three years in the big leagues. Maybe it's be one of those things where that's going to be Casey Schmidt. He's going to be you're a great defensive asset. 
at second base or honestly in the entire left side of the field. Remember, Crawford can only play short. Schmidt could play a lot of different positions. Yeah, that's a good point. He could play them on defense. He plays great defense well, at second, short, and third. Sorry. I would wonder what we were thinking. I would wonder what we would think of, of Casey Schmidt if J.D. Davis wasn't here balling the way he was. I think we'd be – because right now you got, you know, basically – you know, Wilmer Flores, who's the only other guy who can play a couple positions on that infield. It just, I don't know. I, I feel like Casey Schmidt's going to be the odd man out here if Tyro returns and he looks good and Crawford can pick it up here. It does feel like he's the odd man out, but there's so many inventory of at-bats. He'll stay up, I hope. Yeah, I do think J.D. Davis does kind of take a little bit of pressure off of him. If Davis was not producing, then we'd probably be expecting Schmidt to do more at third exactly. base. And. Listen, I think Schmidt's in a good situation right now to keep working on his struggles and break out of this. Um, I do want to get back to Casey Schmidt in a little bit. You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman and Joe Shasky coming at you every week with all the best Giants content. Part of the Odyssey Sports Network here at 95.7 The Game. Make sure you're liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing. Make sure you've got notifications going up because sometimes you forget to check the podcast app and then you realize, oh, there's a new episode available and I totally missed it. You don't want to miss it because... When it comes to missing garlic fries and baseball, guys, that's just you don't want that level of FOMO. It's it's no. bad. It's bad news. Shasky, I want to do another little fun segment here. I'm done drawing stuff out of a hat. We're gonna go back to using our minds now to uh, come up with stuff to talk about. Yes, and I want to play a little game. Simply, it's called fair or foul. Okay. Kind of simple. I'm gonna give a thought to you. You're gonna say whether it's fair that you like it or foul, and that there's something wrong with it. Um. So to start off, the Giants' next superstar will not come via free agency. Is that a fair comment or a foul comment? I think it's fair at this point. I mean, outside of, uh, you know, Barry Bonds, they've done their best work via trades and their own system. So I, I actually, and I also feel like the front office is risk averse. There's no question about that. I mean, what's the boldest thing they've done? <laughs> Trade away Melanson? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really bold. Wow, you moved off some money. So, yeah, I think uh, Beck thought it was bold. <laughs> well, there you go. I uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to come for either via trade or via free agents, uh, via uh, the minor league system. Excuse me. No, I think that's the case, too. And I point back to I mean, when you look at what everyone with a legitimate voice in this organization has said, I think they kind of echo that sentiment. You know, remember uh, Larry Bear, Bear held a town hall last year. Uh, it was hosted by Raj Mathai. And he mentioned at one point that sometimes superstars are homegrown. And that to me was a sign saying that we want to grow our, our own superstar. Gabe Kapler was on the morning roast earlier this year. And he talked about that. Sometimes it's just, it's more fun when you have a homegrown guy, you know, that that's our guy. Uh, you know, there's somebody said about, you know, like, you know, like the, the Buster Posey versus Hunter Pence. I think it's a good example. Now Pence wasn't a free agent. He was acquired via trade, mm -hmm. but as much as we loved Hunter Pence, the love for Hunter Pence was dwarfed by the love for Buster Posey or Madison Bumgarner. Here in the Bay Area, we truly do love our own. And Farhan has hinted as well that, you know, you sometimes you just you got to build up through that farm system. I think the Giants have been leaving very non-obvious, very obvious hints and non-subtle hints that the plan has always been to we want to build this thing up internally through our farm system. And I think sometimes that takes a while. Well, and but I think that's where the frustration comes from. But they could also use their farm system to trade for established players from other places. You know, like Mookie Betts was not mm -hmm. uh, someone that was signed in free agency. He he was traded for, you know, no, so I, 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 there's many ways to build a team. Hunter Pence, one of the most beloved giants, came here via trade. Jeff Kent yeah. via trade. JT Snow via trade. 
Like there are a lot of guys that have been acquired who have come here. Yeah. No, I think that's going to be, if you're the Giants, I think maybe that's what I'm kind of looking for right now is, because uh, I think right now, if you were to say who's the internally, who's the closest thing the Giants have to a superstar right now? They don't have one. They don't. But if you had to pick a name, you're probably looking at Patrick Bailey in terms of a guy coming up to the farm system who sure. could take over that mantle. And that's again, I, sure. Yeah, sure. Again, I'm if I'm gun to your head, you have to pick a name. You're picking Patrick Bailey. And I'm not saying that that, that means that lock him in. Patrick Bailey is Buster Posey 2.0. That's not what I'm saying. But. Well, I do think is you got to get creative. I think if you're the Giants and you got to look elsewhere and see if you can find a team that is kind of also down bad and needs to unload a superstar. That's basically how the Giant, how the, the Giants, how the Dodgers got Mookie Betts. That's how the Padres got Juan Soto. You need to find one of those teams that point. are just in great and complete disarray. I don't really know who those teams are right now. I don't either. Uh, I mean, you need uh, the Dodgers getting Mookie Betts is I will forever hate the Red Sox for the rest of my life because of that deal because it's just the Dodgers they just found money. You just have to be a team in the right place at the right time when the Red Sox wanted to make one of the stupidest trades since Babe Ruth, and now it's like, well, is there another team out there that's willing to be stupid and unload a player uh, that they don't need to right now? Look around. I mean, you look at the Cleveland Guardians. They're kind of seems like their team is going nowhere fast. They don't know would they give up Jose Ramirez and the Giants could bring in get a superstar third baseman. I doubt it. He's making like five years, seventeen plus twenty plus mil for the next few years. It's a great deal, and it is, it is. But you know what? the The Guardians are also, you know, as as bad as they are right now, they're like a game or two out of the divisional race right now. Yeah, and that's a guy who he's gonna be the cornerstone of that franchise for many, many years. So you kind of just have to get lucky and hope that some team is just like, we need to make a stupid move that's gonna piss off our fan base. Hey, Farhan, would you like to capitalize on that? And I hate plans where it's just like hope something happens. But that's that how a- Arenado and Stanton and, you know, different guys around Yelich before he mm-hmm. faded. That's how these guys were acquired. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it's not the only avenue. It's just one of the avenues is what I would say. Free agency, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you tend to truly over, over, overpay. Yeah. I, th- you see, that's a situation where I'd be willing to overpay. Like with Juan Soto last year, guys like that, you know, the Ted Williams comparables. You know, I say that just to get a rise out of you. You know, guys like that. It's just you're going to overpay for those kind of guys. I'm cool with that because you got multiple years on top of that to try and work something out. A Stanton type situation. I mean, yeah, that when the Yankees were able to pounce on that, that was great for them. Hope I don't know where the next team is going to pop up. That's just like we need to unload this guy because we can't afford to keep him around. But I think if we're, we're all on getting on top of Farhan, get Shohei, get Shohei, get Shohei. Do we really need to get on Farhan as the next team that needs to unload a superstar because they can't afford him? That's the one where it's like, you know what? Let's mortgage some farm pieces because that's the guy we need to get. That's the guy who's going to be in like his mid-20s. That's the superstar that you can build around. I think that's what you're kind of – but again, that's one of those things that they just kind of pop up. You can't really plan for those. So until then, you're kind of in a holding pattern here. That's true. Uh, Next up here on this fair or foul, I do want to get back into Casey Schmidt. And that is at some point, Casey Schmidt should just go back to Sacramento. Is that a fair statement or a foul statement? At some point, if he's continuing to struggle, yeah, that's a fair statement. But if he shows some signs of of adjustment, then I'm willing to amend my decision. But as of right now, it's hard to defend him. It just is. I mean, he's struggling. He's batting like 118 over his last 30 games. Yeah, I got so it's a. In his last 31 games, 21 starts, he's hitting 125 with a 205 on base percentage. Chasky, he's got five walks in that span. 
which is four more than he had in his first 22 games. I don't know. There might be some improvement there. It's just not Um, good, Sam. It's tough. And here's the – if I'm going to make the argument, I'm going to make a quick foul argument here in that, you know, I I love the fact that the Giants are letting him work through his struggles, and I think he's in a very good situation with this team right now that – the. And I credit Gabe Kapler. This Gabe Kapler creates such a a very positive vibe in that clubhouse. The guys have such a great vibe in that clubhouse. I don't think that Schmidt's feeling a ton of just, you know, negative pressure to pull himself out of his slump. You know, they're going to give him the leash to get it done. At some point, though, the results are going to have to come through. But the Giants are always very, you know, they're very complimentary of what Schmidt brings to the table. They're very steadfast in their belief in him. And they're very confident that, Whatever these struggles are, he will work through them. Now, this is where the fair comes in is, is this, you know, we've talked about, you know, what's the goal of this season? Is it winning or development? And a lot of times the answer has been yes. Uh, At some point you have to pick one, winning or development. And if this is a team that truly wants to make a serious postseason run, then you can't just be like, oh, it's okay, Casey, you'll figure it out. At some point. That's fair. You're gonna have to say, like, you know what, Casey? If you're not gonna figure this out at the big league level, we can't afford to just. But, waste but what are your options? Like, here's the thing: like, Brett Wisely's not breathing down his throat. Luciano's not breathing down his throat. You don't have any internal options. They really don't, and I think that's what's gonna give Casey Schmidt a bit of a longer leash here. Agreed. I don't know what else they really do at second base. I mean, Brett Wisely is just. I think the best thing you can say about Brett Wisely is, I mean, aside from the fact that he has really nice hair, is he plays a capable second base. And he can also play in center field too. And the Giants do love their positional versatility. And that's probably where the nice things end about Brett Wisely. Uh, It's just, there's a lot to be desired there. And yeah, until Estrada comes back or the Giants make a move in the infield to, to bring someone else in Mm -hmm. it's, you know, Casey Schmidt, you got to sink or swim. And there's a lot, this is where the Giants player development really needs to kind of show what they're capable of. They got to figure out a way to rein in that aggressive tendency while at the same time, not kind of sacrificing the kind of hitter is. And to be honest, I'm not really quite sure how you find that balance if you're Casey Schmidt. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think they they were so worried about chase rates and this, that, and the other. He got away from what he was. And now he's just, he's totally mind screwed. And and I think that's the part about young players is the development is often rough. You know, it's not a straight line straight up in the air. It's up, it's down, it's down, it's down, then it's back up. Like, Development is not a straight line toward success. No. And lastly here, fair or foul. The Giants have reached are now in second place in the NL West. They're a game behind the Dodgers, a half game ahead of the Diamondbacks. The Padres are eight and a half back of the Giants for second place. At this point, the Dodgers are the only serious threat in the National League West that the Giants need to worry about. Fair or foul? Foul. I think Arizona is still uh, alive and well. Uh, I still fear Corbin uh, Carroll, and I just I'm not ready to count out the Padres. I know you are. I'm not. Um, this is a division with four teams with positive run differential. I don't know, man. I I don't think that any of these teams are going away. I would agree with you on the Diamondbacks part because I think the Diamondbacks they're six and ten in their last uh sixteen games. And uh, that was since they lost Merrill Kelly. That was his last start. It was on uh, the 24th against the Giants. Dimebacks are 6-10 and 10 in that time. Uh, a 421 ERA. They're allowing 4.4 runs per game. Oh, that doesn't sound very good. 
except for the fact that it's actually better than the pitching numbers they've been putting up all season. All season, the Diamondbacks rotation has a 444 ERA, is allowing 4.7 runs per wow. game, which obviously means the Diamondbacks are better without Merrill Kelly. That you know, <laughs> Take that to the bank. But no, the, the, the Diamondbacks, the reason they've been sliding of late, they've hit a cold spell at the plate. They're yes. hitting 222 over their, that same span. Uh, they got 16 home runs in those 16 games, which is about one per game, which is a notch below the 1.2 home runs per game that they're averaging. But they're averaging 3.4 runs per game over the last two weeks, uh, down from the 5.2 runs per game that they usually been putting up this season. To be honest, the Diamondbacks, again, they're fate, maybe they're struggling around. Do you think it's the Corbin Carroll in a shoulder injury and their reliance on him? It could be. I mean, we knew that when probably when the the heart of your lineup is struggling, that's going to trickle down to the rest yeah. of your lineup. But you know, at the same time, whether it's injury related, maybe it's fatigue related, teams go through hot and cold spells. That's true. It seems like it could just be a cold spell for the Diamondbacks. My thing, and I, I took this approach for the Giants when they were kind of lighting the world on fire in May and June. It's not the, the hot stretch or the cold stretch that matters to me. It's what you do after that. So the Giants, they started to cool down a bit. Okay, this is where we see what you really are as a baseball team. And now they're kind of starting to pick it up a little bit after stumbling a little bit uh, coming out of June and into July. And Dimebacks, you know, they were rolling. They got all the way up to first place. Now they're starting to stumble a little bit. So let's see what they do here. Eventually, they're going to kind of come out of this cold stretch. What's next for the Dimebacks? Can you maintain, you know, the hot stretch that comes after the cold stretch? If you could do that, then you're in good shape. Yeah. But if you... You know, let's say they burst out of this cold stretch, they win four or five, but then they're playing 500 or below 500 ball for the next two, three weeks after that. And then it's like, you know what? I don't know how legitimate of a contender you are. You're a team that coming into this year, the Diamondbacks looked like they were a year away, but you know how it is. Teams that are a year away always seem to arrive a little bit early. You know, the next couple of weeks, I think will kind of show yeah, whether the Diamondbacks have any staying power. Uh, but right now, I'm not willing to believe in the Padres. I, I watched them over the weekend against the Phillies and they're 0-9 in extra inning games, Chasky. The Padres, they what just do you look make like of a that? They just look like a lost team right now. They look like a team that's angry, that's struggling, and just has no self-belief in themselves. So there's a great example. Uh, they've traded away everything for Juan Soto. Would you acquire Fernando Tatis Jr. if he was available, even if it meant loading up one of your rivals with young talent? I mean, are we sure that Tatis Jr. isn't the problem? I mean, you notice how the Padres kind of took off last year once Tatis got suspended and have the Padres really been that great since he came back. I remember 2021, remember when the, the Padres were, were kind of a mess most that year under Jace Tingler and Manny Machado's yelling, it's not you, it's not all about you in the dugout. And he wasn't talking about you, Darvish. He was yelling at Fernando Tatis. And I wonder, it's just, is Tatis just the kind of guy who puts a toxic atmosphere over a clubhouse. Am I putting too much evil on that guy on, on him by saying that something is not clicking correctly I agree. within the Padres. There's something culturally fundamentally unsound. And that's not something that's fixed with by like, Oh, well, Juan Soto's going to, you know, hit 500 over the next 20 games and everything's solved. When there's something culturally wrong with your clubhouse, when you're looking at a team that's going to extra innings and they just know they're going to lose that's that's not a quick turnaround. That's something you, like y'all need to get together in the clubhouse, pass a talking stick around and have a good little heart to heart with everybody because that's a culture problem. And no, I, I agree for all the negatives that we could say about Gabe Kapler. I'm sure they're out there. I don't have any right now. The one thing I could definitely say about Gabe Kapler is he is not creating a negative atmosphere in that clubhouse. Fair and enough. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think a pot when you're looking at the Padres, if they had a positive atmosphere, 
maybe they're in a better situation, but it's this, this, this is the second time in three years we look at the Padres. It's like, well, you know what? You're just going to have to reset and try again next year. With the amount of money they're investing in that roster and the amount of talent they have on that roster, you should not be having that kind of conversation. So that, that's kind of why I'm out on the Padres. I, I just, agree. You know, at some point, you know, there's the talent versus, you know, cohesion. It's do you have enough talent to win on talent alone? Shout out Herb Brooks. I don't know if the Padres really uh, have the talent to overcome the cohesion issues that they're dealing with. You are listening to the uh, Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman and Joe Shasky coming at you every week. We want you to rate, review, subscribe, ring the bell, get those notifications, tell your neighbors, listen to this podcast because this is what we do here on the Odyssey Sports Network. Shasky, this is a really big week for the Giants. I want to get into some kind of current Giants topics here because these next two weeks are huge for the Giants in terms of what this season means. And starting with these these four games against the Reds, uh, we are recording this on a Monday, uh, the 17th, by the way. Most of you will probably hear this on Tuesday. Uh, This is going to be released Monday afternoon, right before we can get to this Reds game. But the Reds, I mean, they kind of stumble coming into the series, but this is a team that has been uh, red hot for most of the season. And... I think if you could, this is a serious test for the Giants in terms of just how legitimate of a postseason contender they could actually be going into Cincinnati, a uh, place there the Giants have kind of struggled at times over the years. Uh, what do you make? How how high are the stakes really for the Giants going into this four game set in Cincy? I think it's going to be an awesome series, and uh, yeah, I think this is a good litmus test, uh, a measuring stick game, if you will. I also think that you're looking at a young team with a player who's cooled off a little. But Ellie De La Cruz is everything the Giants are looking for. And then some, right? Oh, yeah. I am very much looking forward to Ellie De La Cruz's first stolen base attempt tonight because I really want to see him against Patrick Bailey. I, I just, I mean, we talk about Bailey's hitting all the time. And you are one of the loudest voices in terms of pumping up his, him defensively. And watching him throw, watching Bailey throw dudes out is it's 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 more fun than watching him hit sometimes so i am very excited to see just kind of how he stacks up trying to throw out de la cruz we saw him saw him go against corbin carroll already this year that's one battle that we're gonna be having a lot of fun watching for the next 12 to 13 years him against de la cruz i mean it won't be as consistent as as bailey versus first carroll but it'll still be a lot of fun really i see this as a series where if you, if you could at least split this series, I think at minimum you have to at, split this series with the Reds. If you take three or four, though, I think it ups your credibility in terms of what you are as a postseason contender, especially going into a series against the Nationals this weekend. Because you take if you could take three or four against the Reds, then you have six games against the Nationals, Tigers, and A's, and you have to stuff your face with those six games. And that could put you in a situation where you're 15, 16 games above 500 going into the deadline. And I think this gets to my next point where, you know, what kind of a deadline do you expect out of the Giants? Because I think this week will really determine the answer to that question. What kind of a deadline do you expect out of the Giants? A hundred percent agree. I, I think this is everything right now leading up to the deadline. You have to prove to this ownership group that this year's team is worthy to buy in and increase payroll. No. Oh, absolutely. Now, Farhan uh, was asked uh, last last Friday before the All-Star break of the team if he can add payroll. They've had the conversations about it. It sounds like he does have the green light to add payroll. Now, uh, that means that they'll just go get Shohei Otani, right? No, that's not where I'm going to go with this. But I guess there is, when it comes to the deadline, now, obviously, I think we can all agree that if the Giants got Shohei Otani, we would call that an A-plus deadline. Yes. Sure, we can all agree with that. Um 
Is there a way the Giants can have an A-plus deadline that involves not Shohei Otani being traded to the Giants, though? Hmm. Yeah, if you go get like Shane Bieber or someone who's under team control for next year, because they clearly need another starter for next year. Right, Sam? Absolutely. I would agree with that. And to be honest, there's a part of me and maybe we get this to another time, but there's a part of me who would rather have kind of that kind of an A plus deadline than like a Shohei Otani A plus deadline. I look at this team as I compare this deadline and what the Giants should do to the 2009 trade deadline where None of the moves the Giants made, I thought, really kind of lit the house up. Uh, Freddie Sanchez, very nice move. They got him for Tim Alderson. And did it help that year? Yes. But where that deal really helped out was in 2010. Yeah. And, you know, it got it drummed up excitement uh, at the end of that season. Remember, the, the last that, that run at the end of 2009, it was an exciting run. You know, the Giants had that we're in this campaign. It got you yes. jazzed up. Uh over that final month of the season, obviously the offense, they kind of fell short. They didn't call Posey up. Who knows how things are different if they call him up sooner and let him play. But that's kind of the vibe I get here. It's, you know what? Generate excitement going into 2024 and get someone who can help you out in generating that excitement this year. And if you make the playoffs, that's good. But next year, though, that's where it becomes real. And that's why I like, I like the idea of a Shane Bieber. I really love the idea of a Marcus Stroman. Yeah. This is where the finances kind of get a little hairy, though, with it. And Farhan's going to have to get creative in terms of, you know, shedding some money and in terms of bringing some money back in. Because, and this is, I know we love talking about money. And do the Giants, they have 11 million to play with before they cross that CBT threshold and have to start paying taxes on money. And I know they want to have a clean cap sheet. Uh, before they try and throw a bunch of money at Shohei Otani. At some point, though, if you're Farhan, it's just like, hey, we just took three or four against the Reds, and we just stuffed our faces against three really bad teams. To hell with the CBT <laughs> threshold. I'm always on team spend a billionaire's money. If I'm Farhan, I'm on team spend my billionaire boss's money at, at some point, especially if you have a hot week this week. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm always wanting to spend more money, but they have to spend wisely. They've spent poorly. You know, Ross Stripling and Manaya, Jock Peterson. I mean, it's like $40 million of crap. I mean, let's just call it what it is. $50 million of crap. So I don't really want to hear about, oh, we need to have a clean financial sheet. Don't stop paying mediocre players decent money. Yeah, and that's where I think the real heat's going to start to come on Farhan is, yeah, this was not a smart off season for them money wise at this point, it's getting even worse next year when Manaya and uh stripling execute their $15 million player options, barring two of the most incredible second half pitching runs we've ever seen in major league history. And that's going to be the frustrating part. Now, I, I, maybe another angle to look at this is just how much heat should be on Farhan. If there's kind of a ho-hum deadline, you know, if he kind of does like, Kind of like last year, they didn't really do anything exciting. I mean, they moved Darren Ruff and brought in J.D. Davis, which in hindsight was not exciting at the time. But, I mean, you're loving that deal right now. At this point, I I remember last year saying, you know, I just I don't want the, the usual spiel. And I'm kind of in that again. I don't want something ho-hum. Either moved off of guys because you want to – Who do you want to move off? a jock or a conforto or whatever i don't i don't think you're in sell mode though i really don't think you're in sell mode i think you're in you have to buy mode and but what are you buying just starting pitching like everyone else well that's gonna be the real that's what i think is gonna suck and i think this could be the fun uh conundrum that farhan has to deal with here in this trade deadline is i i, I don't know how aggressive how urgent 
he's he's feeling to make these moves. But yeah, everyone and their brother is going to want a starting pitcher at this deadline. Has he gotten his and, extension yet, Farhan? No, that we'll we'll know for sure when that happens. My guess is if any extensions coming this off season, but. Yeah, everyone's going to want starting pitching. And, you know, the way it works, and uh, I'll just be my last thought before we get out of here, is that basic economics 101. There's a low demand. There's a low supply. There's a high demand. Yep. Farhan, the way that Farhan does business, and I know it's because I've asked him about this numerous times, this is how he got the Mark Melanson deal done. Farhan will stand up. He will plant his feet on the ground, and he will say, this is the deal. You will accept it, or you will go elsewhere. Now, that is how they got the Braves to take all of Melanson's contract and give him Tristan Beck in return. That is how Farhan acquired uh, Chris Bryant for two prospects whose names we're never, ever going to remember. Yes. The problem, I, I, I love that. I, I kind of like that approach. I love that kind of, you know, my way or the highway kind of approach. Most times it worked. He's made it work a couple times. I don't think that will work this year because there's going to be some team that's going to be stupid and overpay. And it's like, oh, you want my, you know, number six and number nine prospect for Marcus Stroman? Well, I'm going to give you my eight and 13. And that's the deal you're going to take. And the Cubs like, well, team over here wants to give us their number three and the number four prospect. So we're going to go with that deal instead. And if I'm Farhan, it's like, oh, well, okay, fine. Let that team be stupid. I guess you 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 kind of give Farhan you know grief for never Sam, making I that bold move. I just want to see him do something that gets me out of my seat. Just do I something. I feel I like just, the guy with the stick. I'm poking him. <laughs> do something. I do think he's gonna do something. I just one thing I know he's never gonna do. I feel like is we're never gonna say, "Oh, Farhan really overpaid for that guy." And if you want to look at the glass half full, yeah, sure, the glass might be a quarter full in this situation. But if you want to look at the glass half full, there's something to be glass half full about. That said, um, let's go take three or four from the Reds and have this conversation again on Friday. So uh, for Sam Lemon and Joe Shasky, this is the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. 66% of the games will, more than 66% of the games will be available this week. And uh, we'll be talking about it later this week and we will catch you on the next one.